Welcome to AWS She Builds Tech Skills with your host, Claire and Andrea. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our first episode of AWS She Builds Tech Skills North America. I'm so excited to be here today. So my name is Claire Holly, and I lead a team of solution architects in the Northeast, New York City to be exact. Uh, pretty much I'm actually a New Yorker. I'm from the Bronx originally, and now I actually live in New Jersey. I've been with AWS now for about, mm, I would say, two years. Yeah, so just a little over two years. And pretty much I really have this, I, I love working with younger, um, younger kids. I love working with our younger new youth and trying to help them to develop and inspire them to take on more uh, roles in the youth um, STEM field, especially for our females. So when I actually heard about SheBills, I got really excited because that's basically what they kind of focus on. And since this is kind of like our first episode, most of you may not have heard about SheBills Tech Skills Program. So just to give you a little introduction, the idea came about because they wanted to create an exclusive and technical skills development program aimed to empower women, people who identify as women and underrepresented communities to build STEM careers while developing them into future leaders in technology. So the program actually started in Australia and now they actually have a um, component in EMEA as well. And each area kind of focuses on their own unique approach. The great thing about this program is the ability to showcase some of the amazing customer stories. So we're really gonna try to look at um, some of the challenges that our customers are facing. I wanna hear about how AWS is actually helping them be able to solve their business use cases. The way that we're actually going to do that is we're going to have two different personas, in which case we're going to have a business side and a technical side. And today we're actually gonna dive a little bit deeper one of our business components. So the great thing about this is that we're also going to be highlighting some of the women leaders who played an active role in this journey. So today I have with me my co-host, my lovely co-host, Andrea today. So Andrea, why don't you actually introduce yourself as well as for the viewers, why don't you guys tell us where you guys are joining us from? Awesome. Thank you so much, Claire. Hi, everyone. Thanks for dialing in. I'm super excited to be here with you and kickstarting our SheBuilds Tech Skills program, uh, a new video series uh, that we launched, uh, and we give you more details of exactly what we plan to do. But a little bit about myself, um, you know, Andrea Sabet, I'm, I'm a senior leader uh, working for AWS. I joined the organization about four and a half years ago. And, uh, you know, a little bit about my background, right? So I studied physics and uh, data science, and uh, I was completely outside sort of the, the IT space. But, uh, you know, my passion kind of led me to pursue a career in pre-sales. And uh, I, I did uh, solution architect uh, in, at various different companies for many years. And then, you know, four and a half years ago, I landed a job at AWS and it's been you know, a really uh, exciting part of my my career. I'm super excited to be here. Obviously, I get to work with amazing people and technology. Uh, so with that said, you know, I have a passion for inclusion, diversity, and equity. Uh, you know, worked with, uh, on man, many different avenues, I've had opportunities to work with some amazing young women, like uh, girls who can code, uh, you know, hours of code, or work with data scientists in Bangladesh to help them uh, build and develop skills to pursue a career in that field. 
so super excited, obviously, um, you know, about that topic, but just kind of uh, talk a little bit about the program that we have. So the SheBuilds Tech Skills for North America is going to focus on customers. And what we want to do is essentially give our customers the opportunity to come and showcase some of the great work that they have done. Um, so what we will do is we will showcase our customers, but we will host them in two episodes each. So we will have someone representing the business side, talking about their journeys to the cloud or leveraging technologies to address certain business uh, uh, obstacles. So we have a business leader. And then the second episode will feature a technical expert who will dive deep into the architecture. Uh, and, uh, you know, we'll do everything we can to, to host bi-weekly at times, you know, there's Christmas holidays and such. We might go and host these on a monthly basis. But uh, with that said, um, so we have a really exciting uh, video right now, just ready to be to be played for you. Uh, is going to feature one of uh, one of our customers, Wood McKinsey, and we're going to hear more from the VP of Data Architecture and Data Engineering. Her name is Liz Danette, who is going to talk about you know some interesting uh, you know challenges that they are solving in the energy space. So with that said, um, Claire, why don't we kind of get straight to the video and then from there on, we go back on and we do a deeper analysis and we talk in details about the video in itself. How does that sound? Sounds great, Andrea. Before we do that, we actually have Raj with us who's going to be our moderator. So pretty much Raj is with us from AWS as well. She will be in the chat. So anytime you have a question, please feel free, throw it in there and she will definitely be able to um, help you. Right, without any further ado, I'm going to launch our video. Welcome everyone to our episode of She Builds Tech Skills North America. Today we have with us Liz Dennett, who is a VP of Architecture and Engineering at Wood McKenzie. Wood McKenzie is doing so many amazing things and innovating things in the energy space for technology. I mean, they're coming up with empathetic, empathetic architecture, satellite analytics. They have all of this stuff helped them lead to what they call LNG modeling. And today we have Liz that's going to be able to dive a little bit deeper. So we're excited to have you, Liz, here as our guest. I am um, so excited to be here today. It's truly a, a privilege to be here and to be on this side of the interviewing chair. I believe last time Andrea and I were together on a shoot, we were both architects at AWS being the interviewers. And I have to say, it's, uh, it's a very different perspective being the interviewee for a change. Wow, that sounds so awesome, Liz, and we're glad to have you. So why don't you tell us a little bit how your background has helped you prepare for this role? So I have what I like to think of as the stereotypical, not at all technology background. I don't have a degree in computer science. I haven't been writing code since I was four, although I actually have been programming for a fair amount of time. But I have a PhD in astrobiology. I actually worked for NASA looking at how life evolved on early Earth. From there, I was a geologist for an energy company for a while. I then was a technology director at a biotech startup where I actually did my first architectures. I then worked for AWS as a solutions architect for a few years, and now I work with Woodmac, where is a VP of data architecture and data engineering. I have an incredible team that works to slay data silos and fuel sustainable innovation. That background may seem really varied, and when I talk to people frequently, they ask what the common theme is, which is a very valid question. Mm -hmm. 
the common theme is leveraging data and leveraging technology as tools that can help to really find the commonalities and using those as tools, not as the be all end all, but as ways that you can systematically break down those silos like I was talking about or find better and more optimized ways to do things. I'm also an insanely, insanely curious person. Um, I'm always reading. I love to read architecture blogs, and this is my architecture videos. I love to watch those and always looking at different ways to do things. And I think more so than anything, that natural curiosity has been one of the things that's really helped to drive my career throughout the past 10 to 20 years, if I were to put a rough age estimate on it. What does your organization focus on? What's the main business? Yeah, so we are a global research and consultancy business that aims to transform how we power the planet. So we work a lot with the natural resources industry. We've been at it for over 50 years, and we've been partnering with our customers to provide data, analytics, insights that help them with their decision-making. A key aspect of this is really looking at how data sets can combine. Now, if you look at the data space in general, typically there's different silos. There's upstream data, there's commodities data, there's metals and mining data, there's corporate data. And each of those typically have different data models. They have different paradigms. They get their data from different sources. And at a place like Woodmac, we have tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of different data assets. As we look at this energy transition, the power isn't necessarily in doing any one of those verticals better, although that can be really impactful, but it's really at integrating those data sets, at looking at how the connections can be made between them. I like to think of them as Venn diagrams coming together. To do that requires new ways of thinking. It requires a lot of computational power, which is why we leverage the cloud all of the time. And it also requires different ways of doing things. A few of those include using an enterprise data model, which we are doing for some of our key attributes, things like companies and locations, so that we are able to give our customers data that is ready for any of their analytics use cases that span many of those different domains. It also includes things like ensuring we have data that is analytics ready. That is data that is not only quality checked, quality controlled, but is ready for analysis. Um, along, amongst many, many other things that I, I could talk about for days, if not weeks, if given the opportunity. But out of respect for our viewers, I will not take up the rest of your week. <laughs> no, that's great. So I think today, Liz, we're talking about um, one of the workloads, which is the LNG modeling workload. We kind of want to know a little bit about what that is and who are your customers and how are they actually leveraging it? Yeah, that's a great question. So I'm going to start with some of the basics. It is the Global LNG Liquefaction Monitoring Product. And what it does is it provides near real-time market intelligence on liquefaction train statuses. So let's unpack what some of those words mean if you're not in the energy space. LNG is liquefied natural gas. It's gas that's cooled down into a liquid so it's easier to transport. When you cool it down, it takes up one six hundredth of the volume and it's much easier to transport. To cool it down, there are these units that are called trains, not like choo-choo trains, but they're compressor trains. And that converts the actual natural gas into liquefied natural gas. Now, 
the data that we provide to our clients is contextual in nature. So we tell them if the data, I'm sorry, we provide the data that tells them if the trains are on or off. And that may seem very simple, but it's actually pretty impactful because it allows our clients to see the efficiency of LNG trains and evaluate trading opportunities when the trains go offline. One thing I probably failed to mention is that we're leveraging satellite analytics with this. It's part of a strategic agreement with Ball Corporation where we are taking satellite data that's coming in. We're using that in addition to some of our other data sets that my colleague Connor Boyle is going to talk about. And together, that holistic data sets allows our clients to see the efficiency of LNG trains. And it also allows them to better predict the supply and demand market equilibrium. That can make their predictive models better. And they can analyze historical patterns in events and usage. Looking at the history, looking at predictive models are two of the key drivers that can enable our customers and clients to really help accelerate their net zero ambitions. Where did this journey start? Did you go out to sort of understand your customers first to see where they were at? Or did you kind of have an idea already prepared to say, hey, this is I know exactly what I need to do. Here's how I get started. Could walk us through a little bit that journey. Yeah. So I can speak to the parts where I've been a part of, which at least to me being in the energy space, there's no getting to know your customers. I've been a customer of Woodmac data. I've been looking at the reports ever since I was in grad school and I'm constantly speaking at conferences, going to conferences to know what the industry is doing. I'm talking to my friends and colleagues that are in, in the industry. So I don't necessarily see it as a line like these are customers and clients. This is the data we're doing. The energy transition as a whole and the journey to accelerate the decisions that are being made is something we're all in together. From a data architecture perspective, having data architects embedded with these teams, the engineering teams, the product teams from the very, very beginning, from the minute we were thinking about what the products could be as part of that empathetic architecture journey has been absolutely critical to delivering these really agile and successful products that have a really, really impactful delivery so that when you see them and when when Connor goes through the architecture and you ultimately see the finished product, it's delightful, which I have to say is something that is one of the key reasons that we work so hand in hand with AWS. Going back to even some of the leadership principles, some of the working backwards and the ways of working, it's that that cultural element that you know when you see and really having so much commitment towards delivering something that's going to delight and invent on behalf of your customers. Yeah. And then Liz, what were some of the decision criteria that you said? So decision criteria actually goes into challenges. It's really easy when talking about successful product launches like this, just to brush over it and say, everything was great. It was a really, really fun journey. But the reality is Every time you are doing something that hasn't been done before, there's going to be a lot of challenges. And the decision criteria are absolutely one of the ways that those come out. With my data architecture hat on, some of the biggest challenges and criteria are even going to be things like, how do we get new data sets integrated in our existing data estate? How do we do that in line with our data governance principles, with the proper accountability channels? And how do we ensure that we have an architecture that is scalable, that is repeatable, and that's in line with all of our architecture principles? More holistically, though, and arguably more importantly, how do we ensure that we are creating a solution and a product that actually meets our customers' needs? 
I have found in my journey, it can be so easy to go sit in a computer, spin up some resources and build the coolest thing for technology's sake, but not necessarily have a great product market fit or not necessarily solve an actual problem. So I think it's really important to, to provide context that um, Connor and I and the broader architecture team really try to focus on how we can operate holistically. And we strive to do something we call empathetic architecture. Connor's going to talk a little bit more about that. But it really is seeing how what we build from a data and technology perspective integrates with the product team, integrates with the research, integrates with our customers and our clients so that what we're delivering is techno technologically very sound. It has great architecture principles, but also invents and innovates on behalf of our customers and is able to really address their needs. So Liz, it actually leads me to wonder why AWS, why Amazon? Is it because of your previous experience where we bias here? I mean, can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, so there's, there's several reasons. The first one is the cloud technology. And my humble opinion is, is unparalleled for what I have needed it to do from a data architecture perspective. Um, the second reason is the culture the key elements behind working backwards, behind inventing on behalf of your customers. From an architecture perspective, that is something that we as a team strive for every single day. And the third thing is the support. Have being able to call on our solutions architects and help us troubleshoot problems, being able to go to reInvent, read blogs, actually write blogs, being able to be a part of that dynamic community and really ensure that we're not just inventing on our own behalf, but we're also giving back to the community, sharing best practices and being a steward in that right is something that is just fantastic and really awesome. So and I say awesome in that pun, like the AWS OME type way. <laughs> that's, that's fantastic. So we, we really appreciate your time, Liz, here on the show, kind of walking us through this um, supply and demand, or at least predicting supply and demand of liquefied gas by looking at efficiencies of these trains and how you provide insights to, um, you know, your consumers, customers, essentially, to be able to to drive these efficiencies. And uh, we'd love to hear more about this and dive deeper into architecture. I know you have one of your, um, you know, direct reports, right, walking us through in the upcoming session, and then as we go deeper into the architecture. We look forward to that. But I just wanted to thank you for taking the time to be with us here today. It's truly been my privilege. And you guys are going to learn so much when Connor comes and presents. That's fantastic. And we'd love to have you back as well, Liz. And uh, thanks, everyone, for watching. Thank you. So that was amazing content by Liz. I mean, she's actually very impressive. <laughs> Her career, everything that she spans, I think that was um, great content that she was able to provide. Um, I think we should probably dive a little bit deeper on that conversation because she hit a lot of different terms. But before we do that, I mean, I wanted to take a look at our audience. I know we kind of asked where people were jumping around from. We see that we have Europe here, Asia, and we do see we have New York. So again, thank you guys for joining. 
We also want to highlight some of the information for the company. As we can see, Wood McKenzie is doing some amazing things in the energy space. So we definitely are going to be Sydney. I see Sydney's out there too. Very nice. Very nice. Thank you. So we also want to be able to post some links just in case anybody is interested. They have a lot of career opportunities. You can see they're doing a lot of innovating things, as well as eventually you, we will be doing a deep tech dive or some of the um, services, AWS service they'll be using in the next episode. But Raj is actually going to be able to handle a lot of that stuff. But in the meantime, I'm curious, Andrea, what resonated the most with you from what Liz provided to us? What yeah. do you think? I, you know, she's so impressive. I mean, I, I knew, um, you know, Liz when she actually worked at AWS. Uh, what, what was interesting that stood out to me, and I think it resonated a lot from uh, with me as well, is her background, right? I mean, you know, she's a VP of data architecture and data engineering, and uh, but you know, her her background, she didn't study computer science. Uh, you know, she worked at various different companies. Very impressive, right? Uh, I think uh, working for NASA and various different, you know, in very different type of disciplines. And I think one thing she said they all had in common was, uh, you know, data and technology and how you bring them together. Um, and personally for me as well, right, I didn't have a background in IT, but, you know, over time it was problem solving and, and it resonated with me. I think it's just, just showcases that, you know, anything is possible, right? It's like you could... You could pursue a career in a diff different field altogether without necessarily having a background in that field. But one thing they have in common is problem solving. Um, and, and that to me was was interesting. Uh, I raised the same question to you, Claire. What what stood to you uh, during the conversation? Yeah, you know what? I actually really enjoyed the concept of the empathetic empathetic architecture. As you guys know, I keep having a problem with that word. <laughs> but I really enjoy that concept because, you know, it's something that's very simple, right? It's um, yeah. making sure that we have all the right players together. So the product teams, the engineering teams, we want to make sure that we understand then really what is the customer's use case and making sure everyone is really working together and working backwards to really achieve that goal. I mean, again, we think it's something simple, but oftentimes you have a lot of um, customers when you work at different companies, they're working in silos. So you have engineering doing one thing, product team is doing another thing, business team wants one thing. So therefore no one's really collaborating and therefore the product um, the product actually gets delayed. So one mm -hmm. thing I could actually say is that at one of my old um, jobs, what we used to do was something called PI planning, where we put all the resources together in one room, all the stakeholders. So all the stakeholders were there. And at this time, this is when we committed to what we were going to deliver based on the customer's priority. And I think that was really effective. And I love to see that um, what McKenzie is doing the same exact thing along those lines. Yeah, I, I think, you know, some, something we do see often is, you know, IT innovates, but sometimes there's a disconnect with the business. So they innovate in kind of a siloed fashion. And typically, you know, once they come up with a, you know, solution or at least a fix for something, it's not applicable, right, to what the business is looking for. So having that tight collaboration, I think, is so critical. And it's, it's interesting to see how Wood McKenzie is doing it. Um, awesome. I see that you're providing the links to the different uh, pages so you can learn more by, by going to these links. And I also know Wood McKenzie is currently hiring. So if you're interested, and I think they have lots of very interesting positions 
uh, to that you could uh, apply for. So with that said, um, I think we have a special guest, Claire, if I'm not mistaken. Huh? Do we? I believe so. <laughs> Welcome, Liz. <laughs> Great to see you, Liz. Thank you for having us. So, Liz, before we jump in, we do want to see if the audience has been paying attention. Okay. So, this is something for our viewers. And for the viewers, we're going to ask you, we call it the question of the day. So, the question of the day is we're going to ask you a question. The first person to put it in the chat and Raj acknowledges that, we'll get uh, AWS credit. How about that, a credit, guys? So let's make sure that, hopefully you've been paying attention. I know we didn't say it in the beginning, but hopefully you have been. So the question of the day is going to be, Liz actually mentioned three reasons why they chose AWS as a cloud provider. Uh, take it away. <laughs> We're waiting now for people to put this in the chat, right? Because I was like, I don't know if I can remember what I said, even though I just watched it, and I said it originally. There's just many reasons. It's hard to pick the top three. No, that's right, Liz. I mean, again, thank you for um, having this, doing the episode with us. Thank you for coming on board. This was actually great. If anyone in the audience also has any questions for Liz, please don't hesitate to put it in the chat so she can answer. There we go, unmatched cloud platform and reinvent company. It's one, two, and three because it's the best. <laughs> amazing, amazing. Any questions here? I will say this has been a really, really fun platform, and I do just want to thank the two of you. It's, it's. Um, really been an honor and it's been so much so much fun to be on this side of it it's always a little nerve-wracking watching what you said when this was recorded in case no one could tell it was a video even though you said it was a video um, but this has truly been a privilege and an honor especially since this is the first of hopefully many many more episodes oh yeah thank you liz we're super glad to have you on i think someone answered the question i think that's in line with what you responded Bolshevik power. power. We got a winner, if I'm not mistaken. That sounds about right. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Oh, There's a question out here for you, Liz. Actual question. All right. So transferring my skills as a geologist to solution architecture. Shameless plug on LinkedIn. I recorded 200 plus videos that I actually started when I was working at AWS, all about pivoting skill sets, pivoting careers. I did a whole series called Services in 75 where I would talk about a random AWS service in 75 seconds. So feel free to follow me on LinkedIn or go back to my videos and you can see them. The tra transitioning of skill sets, there's a few key ways to do it broadly. One is to figure out where the gaps are. So if you're a geologist that's just been looking at seismic and you want to be an architect, that's great, but you can't just throw out a geologist resume and think you're going to get a cold call. Uh, so really figure out what those gaps are. AWS has a bunch of great online resources. You can study to get your cloud practitioner or your AWS solution architect associate for free. There's so much great material out there. Also, you can build something. You can log on to AWS. You can spin up resources in the cloud. You can actually build some pretty straightforward end-to-end -end architectures and start to build up your own set of things you've built on your own time. 
when you start to do one, start to do two, then you can have a body of work that showcases your ability and your curiosity. And that can provide a really good foundation to put on your resume. And then when you do get called in for interviews, instead of just saying, oh, I like the cloud, I like technology to talk with specifics about what you've built and what you've learned. Awesome. Any other thoughts? Uh, feel free to share your questions. I just a uh, little bit of a teaser. So during reInvent, uh, which is almost 30 plus days um, till we have reInvent, which is the Am Amazon annual conference at um, in Vegas, uh, I'm going to meet, meet uh, Liz in person. So we're going to do backstage podcasting. Uh, so hoping to... to have her back on and we'll sync up with you, Liz, and see kind of what you gathered and your thoughts on reInvent all together. So just give everyone a teaser for what's coming in, in say, November, December, end of November, beginning of December. All right. If uh, you are going to be at reInvent, it is my favorite time of the year. You can catch me wandering around or probably at some of the after parties or after after parties. Bonus points if you catch me out on a dance floor and we can take a selfie together. There were several of those from last year's reInvent. I think we'll probably be able to repeat it this year. That's fantastic. Um, so, you know, this is your chance. If you have any other questions, feel free to post them. But just to let you know as well what's coming. So what we hope to air as well on November 8th, which is two weeks from now, we will have Connor Boyle, who is a principal data architect, uh, architect at Wood McKenzie, who will dive deep into the architecture behind what the use case that Liz described. So we're going to do a deep dive technical um, sort of analysis, and we hope to have you back on here again, and we'll have another one of these sessions. Um, and with that said, any other final questions? If not, Claire, we could maybe wrap it. I think it's going to be a wrap, Andrea. Awesome. I just have to say, I'm so glad I went first because after you guys see Connor's architecture and see the whole flow diagram and everything he's done, you're gonna be like, Liz, Liz, what? That was so surface level. Connor's actually gonna show the architecture and talk about the cloud. So if you're at all thinking, how would this work with, with satellites? Stay tuned. Awesome. One quick question, Liz, before we wrap up. Um, Solo Haslow has a question. I would like to ask Liz, what are her recommendations to start learning data science? Oh, this is great. So when I wanted to start learning data science, the first thing I did was I took a, a Coursera course just because I wanted someone to explain to me, like, this is a data frame, this is a Jupyter notebook. And then I had a, a question that I wanted to answer. I was using a Fitbit at the time, and I was going to spin class, and I made a comment to my friend sitting next to me, like, hey, I didn't get much sleep last night. I feel like my watts have been lower when I don't sleep well. And he said, you know, Fitbit has an API. You can pull your stats from that. Like, you can pull your sleep. And the classes that we went to had metrics, so I could manually enter those. So fast forward an entire weekend, I ended up canceling all my plans, but I figured out how to get the Fitbit API to pull into a Jupyter Notebook so I could get all the data up there. It was a pain in the butt because I was trying to use a Google Colab Notebook, which wouldn't work with the OAuth 2 authentication, so I had to troubleshoot all of these pieces. And when I finally got the data in there, it was easy peasy. And then I had all this data and I didn't know what to do with it. So I looked through the primary literature of some microbiology papers that I'd been reading, and they had some really cool ways to visualize their like gut microbiome data. And I had all of this big data for heart rate, for sleep, for like number of steps I took. 
And I was able to download from the Git repositories those so I could graph them using my Fitbit data. And that's how I got started learning, learning data science. To me, that was the perfect way because yeah, you could take a course, yeah, you could read a book and, and go through it on someone else's trajectory. But if you have a problem, if you wanna answer it and you wanna just throw yourself in the deep end, to me, that was a very Amazonian way about it. I actually talked about that in my Amazon interview as one of the ways that I taught myself new things. That's fantastic. Liz, thanks again for coming here, making yourself available. We love, you know, your story and the impact you've had in this business. And, uh, you know, we'd love to obviously meet you again at reInvent. And with that said, I just wanted to take this opportunity to thank everyone who watched this live broadcast. Uh, we will have many more of these coming, so stay tuned. A lot of interesting uh, customer journeys. And with that said, we'll love to see you again on November 8th, same time, same channel. See Take you care. Thank you, everyone.